Thank you for joining us for After the Message. To learn more about Celebration Church here in Orlando, you can follow us on social media under the handle at CelebrationORL or visit our website at CelebrationORL.org. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Celebration Church Orlando podcast and a segment we like to call After the Message. If you are stumbling along this podcast, like I said, you're in the Celebration Church Orlando podcast. We are in a season of After the Message where we're talking about our series in Romans called Grace to You, and we're just kind of continuing the discussion from the previous Sunday's sermon. Today, we are welcoming to the podcast Brother Vinicius. Vinicius, how would how would it a true Brazilian pronounced Vinicius. That. Vinicius. Oh, yeah. Really good. That was good? Amazing. Probably the best I've ever done. For sure. <laughs> Welcome, brother. How are you? I'm good, man. I'm good. I'm just... I was just thinking right now as you were kicking off this episode, the first time we talked about this in 2019, you said, bro, what if we put together a podcast? And I, if I am not wrong, I think your suggestion at that time was a podcast only for team members or something like that. Am mm. I wrong? That sounds right. And then look at us three years later. The world is listening. <laughs> exactly. Someone in Bulgari right now. <laughs> I don't even know where that is. <laughs> Man, that is that is cool. I haven't thought about that in a while. So yeah, welcome to our audience all over the world. Yeah. And for the only one who's fluent in another language, why don't you welcome our Brazilian friends? It why in Portuguese? Yes. Why? Since I speak so many different languages. How many others do you speak? I'm just kidding. Oh, okay. <laughs> Fala pessoal, espero que vocês estejam ouvindo aí do Brasil, de Portugal, uh, da Angola, onde mais se fala português. Deus abençoe vocês e que esse episódio seja uma benção. Yes, I, I second that. And you probably just called me an idiot in Portuguese or something. Oh, no. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Not you. Well, man, we are uh, we're in the middle of our series, Grace to You, here at Celebration Church Orlando, and Week four. Week four is crazy. Time is flying, bro. It's crazy. I know. So if... I remember I was like a month or two months ago planning this, and then it's almost done. How crazy. Mm. What do we have? Actually, I remember us planning the Signs series, which was our fall series last year, and look at us now. Crazy, bro. Time's flying. It is flying. We have a We have a good series coming up in December. Oh, yeah. I'm excited. Even though it will be quick, it will be very nice. Mm-hmm. Should should we share a little bit about or should we keep for ourselves? Yeah, let's keep for ourselves. Okay, I like that. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, this series has been has been a lot of fun. Um, I've said numerous times how when I heard that we were going to go through Romans, how pumped I was. And I've also said numerous times how this is just, it's just a taste you know, there is so much there. Oh yeah. In, in Romans and what I want to ask you what kind of if you've done any what kind of study you have done previously uh in Romans what it's meant to you personally 
Well, I wrote a curriculum about Romans in 2009. You wrote a curriculum? Mm-hmm. It was verse by verse, so it's a, it's a crazy, it's long. I think it's over 300 pages, and I create that for the Bible school I was, I was over back then. So, so yeah, I, I studied a lot. But it's funny, I was talking with my wife the other day, even though the book is amazing, it's not on my top 10 least. Not in your top 10? Oh, man. No way, bro. And, and again, don't get me wrong here. I love it. It's Romans. It's not Leviticus, right? I love it. But, uh, but yeah, for sure not. my. On, on What's my number one, Hebrews? <sighs> has your top ten changed through the years? Or has it? I, th- I think so. I think in the past was Joshua. I really like Joshua. Um. But I think my top one would be Hebrews or Genesis. Mm. I think Genesis is amazing. Mm. This whole, it's so mysterious and and so easy to understand, profound at the same time. So it's long. I, I you know, I love long books. Mm. Don't don't say like, oh, Judah. No, <laughs> come on. <laughs> let's let's do a fifty chapters book. Right. Come on. So so I love Genesis, but I want to say so, so I want to say Genesis. Hebrews, Joshua, First Samuel. I love First Samuel just because of the whole David narrative. I love that. And then Exodus. And then, ooh, I forgot about Malachi. It's mm. up there for sure. Mm. So see, it's so it's so yeah. hard, but for sure, let's say Romans is number fourteen. Okay. That's what, disappointing. Because it's your first? It's, <laughs> no, it's okay. not my, I don't know. It's probably my favorite epistle of Paul, though. Oh, okay. Well, my favorite epistle of Paul is Hebrew, even though. Uh, ah, come on. <laughs> <laughs> even though we don't know if he wrote it. Probably not. Yeah. But it's so clever in a way the author presents his his argument of Jesus being way more important than everybody in the Old Testament, mm. writing that for a Jew. So it's not confrontative, but it's very passive-aggressive, you know? <laughs> like, I understand you guys think Abraham is amazing, but let's talk about Jesus for a second, and, and let's compare then. Yeah. And in a way that it's so clever that I I don't know who else would be able to write mm. a masterpiece like that. Mm. So that's why if we get in heaven and we ask Paul hey can you please tell my brother Nate here you wrote you wrote Hebrews and he goes no bro it was not me I will be I will be very like mm. who's who did <laughs> who's yeah who's con- <laughs> who's uh who's contestant number two like who do you think it- I don't know man that's yeah. the thing Vinny when you were writing your curriculum for Romans I I Personally, I feel whenever I'm studying something to present something, I learn so much about oh, it. Oh yeah, and you know, a lot of the a lot of people would say the best way to learn is to teach, um, because you have to know <laughs> the material. What What are some things that maybe jumped out to you when you were writing that curriculum, or what did you discover through that process? 
about Romans? Well, I think a couple of things. Uh, just one thing that is very important. I never taught a class. I just wrote the curriculum mm. for someone else Nice to, to teach the class. And uh, it was a three weeks class, three days a week. So wow. it was nine days, nine days, almost 20 hours. Yeah. Um, but I really like how, how the 16 chapters are so cohesive in a way that it makes sense chronologically mm -hmm. when you read the whole thing, you mm -hmm. know? So starting with the whole, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because, you know, this is life, this is the truth. And then, and then so being very practical and then going to deep theology on, on, on Romans five and the original scene and and um, the nature the nature of the man and and Jesus being the completely opposite of everything, you know, si since the beginning Jesus is like is something other, and then going to Romans eight and this whole practical idea again there's no condemnation for you and. And, and and the love of God is available and it is amazing, and all and before before that the the whole idea of Romans six and this this uh, tension between grace and sin. Uh, so if grace is available and Jesus already paid our sins, why why we are worried about this? Mm -hmm. And then and then Romans eight and then Romans ten and the whole idea. Christ and the law, Christ and the law. And then it's the first time in the Bible we see presented this idea, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is your Lord, you're saved. And then we go to Romans 13 and talk about love again. And, and I love chapter 13 because it's very confrontative in a way that Paul says, hey, wake up. Hmm. You know, if you're sleeping, wake up. You can hmm. like, so I really like this. this chronological way he writes about such deep subjects. Mm. And of course, we never mentioned predestination here, which is also a, a, a great part of, of Romans 8. And so I think what I want to, answering to your question, I like, as a professor, as a teacher, I like how brilliant he wrote and how chronologic how well it's very well done mm -hmm. now as far as a practical thing mm -hmm. i think i i really love this idea of how do we balance how do we balance this grace is available it is already paid tetelestai but at the same time Yes, we're sinners. Our nature is corrupted. Mm -hmm. uh, so how do we live our lives in this new grace era? Yeah. So that's that's what's really important for me, practical speaking. And, and I think we, all of us, Pastor Keith, you, myself, and then Pastor Keith is preaching again this Sunday, I think all of us, we we have done a good job trying to explain that to our church. Mm -hmm. Yes, grace is there. But you also have a responsibility. Yeah, you mentioned a a, a Greek word there. What what was that Greek word? Tetelestai. Which it's is? Hebrew. Oh, Hebrew. It's it's uh, it's the last word. The not the last. The uh, how do you guys say it when it's not the last, but before the last? 
second to the second life? to the last word that Jesus said on the cross, mm. the telestai, which means it is paid, mm. it is done. Mm-hmm. I did what I had to do, mm-hmm. and He's just taking all of our sins and and uh, over Him, and and then He says, before that, He says to He asked God, Hey, why did you abandon me? Mm. It's because our sins was there. In Christ, and then when he's done, he just shout to Telestai, mm. which for me is the most important word in the Bible. I don't have tattoos, but if I had one, that would be the one I would I would definitely mm. have written in my body. Telestai means it's done. Mm. Jesus paid the price. I'm free. Mm. Let's talk about that tension or paradox, if you will. Last you know, last Sunday you. Uh, did a, a phenomenal job at this comparison between the law and Jesus, um, compare and contrast, right? And when you brought up the graphic on the screen, it actually showed me how similar they were, right? Um, and I've always looked at them at as competing for one another, and you even said that, you know, grace isn't anarchy to uh, to the law, right? How, what's the best way for someone who is going through this series with us and going through, maybe they're going through Romans on their own. How do they, how do they walk that tension out? Do you know what I mean? And and how perhaps maybe have you tried to walk it out in your own life of, yes, grace is available to me, but I also have a part to play. Yeah. Uh, well, I think there's two questions in one there. So let me start with the beginning, with the graphic and the law and grace. I think the majority of the preachers of hyper grace, I've I've heard this so many times. They always said bad things. They always say bad things about the law. Mm -hmm. And of course, grace grace is a hundred times greater. It's it's even greater. But that does that doesn't mean that the law was bad, right? Right. So I think the the point one here is law was not bad. Mm-hmm. Actually, the Bible says the law was good, mm-hmm. but it was good for a period of time. Mm-hmm. Law, when when God shared the law with Moses, it was not for forever. Mm-hmm. It's for that genera- It's for that nation for that time. Mm-hmm. So this is very important to understand. Law was not not bad. Law was good. The law was just a manual on how to live life. God wanted a peculiar nation. God wanted to make Israel an example for everybody else. Mm-hmm. God was like, look what I can do wow. on the life of those who love me. Wow. So God was like, what What if you guys follow these rules? So the law was not bad. Now... The Bible says that John the Baptist was the last prophet of the law. Mm. And then now Jesus comes and Jesus is establishing the upgrade. So, you know, I have my iPhone 10, which is great. It's good. But the 14 is for sure better. Mm-hmm. So I think grace is just the iPhone 14, you know. Uh, it's just Jesus bringing a new perspective of some things and also bringing a new reality for other things. Mm. So a couple of, of examples of new perspective. It's the example I shared um, on Sunday. 
The law is love your friends, hate your enemies. The new perspective, the upgrade is love your friends, love your enemies, pray for them. Mm -hmm. So this is just a new perspective of the law. Now, a new reality is you don't need to sacrifice animals anymore. You don't need to follow all this. So the law was divided in three parts, right? The commandments, the civil law, and the, and the all the religious part of the law. Right. And the religious part of the law is divided in five types of sacrifices. I don't need to do that anymore because Jesus already paid for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's not a new perspective. That's a new reality. Mm. So I think something that it's very important for us to understand is grace is better than the law. Grace brings a new perspective of the law, but also brings a new reality. Mm-hmm. Um, now, the second part of your question, how do I deal with this tension? <clears throat> That's a great question. Do you think the tension is part of a dependency aspect? Like, if we had a clear-cut answer, <clears throat> we wouldn't need to depend on God and walk with God daily because we, oh, my sins are forgiven, I'm good. Or if it was like, well, it's totally up to me, I have to, I have to stay locked in. Does that make sense? Do you think this paradox is almost like, well, I just have to be led by the Spirit daily and continue to surrender. Do you think that's an aspect of it at all? I, I think so. But I think overall, the, the tension is there for two, re- for two reasons. I think first one is this uncomfortable relationship sometimes people has, have with law. Sorry, with grace. I think a good example of this is I have a cousin, and when we were teenagers and when we were praying together, I remember him saying something like, God, please don't forgive me. Don't forgive me because I can't I can't do this anymore. I can I can't ask you to forgive me again. I did that last week mm. and I I'm just embarrassed of doing this again. Mm. So this is just my cousin saying, I don't deserve your grace. Wow. I'm I'm not good enough for your grace. This is one part of the spectrum. The other part of the spectrum is, yes, I deserve it. Christ pay for me. I'm so loved by God. I'm the chosen one. Yes. And then just put yourself in this position that it's very comfort and and almost encourage laziness, right? Mm. Jesus did everything for me, so now I'm going to live my life how I want since it's already paid. Mm. And it's important to understand that it's not one or the other. Grace is in the middle of this. (laughs) And uh, so I think that's the tension. If you see yourself as a sinner and how miserable we are, sometimes people tend to not to not accept grace as it is. So they they need to prove to God they deserve it. They they think like, I need to go to church 10 times a, a, a month. I need to tithe. I need to do good things in order to receive grace. Mm-hmm. The other side of the spectrum is, I already received grace, so now I have no responsibility. Mm. That's the tension. Mm. And grace is in the middle. God is in the middle thinking, guys... What you're doing, <laughs> you know, it's not one or the other. Grace is already available for you and you don't need to do anything to to, rec- 
not that you don't need to do anything to receive. If you receive Christ, grace is already available to you. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that now you can live your life as you want. Yeah. You know, it's actually the opposite. Now that you understood grace, now that you understood that, yes, Christ paid everything for you, now that you understood to tell and you accepted that sacrifice in your heart. It's a response. It's almost like I want to respond, yeah. to respond. You know, I want to live my life in the best way possible to represent well that sacrifice, mm. that Christ who paid everything for me. Yeah, you mentioned a couple of times accepting Christ. What what does that mean for somebody? Accepting Christ is following what Paul says in Romans chapter 10. He says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord, and believe in your heart that he was raised from the death, you will be saved. So two two things he says. So first is confessing with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord. It's not only confessing. It's it's The confessing is just an overflow of something that is happening inside of you. There's two ways of living life. You being the Lord of yourself. So you are the Lord of your decisions, you are the Lord of your future, you are the Lord of your, the Lord of your desires, and you decide what to do with it, or having Christ as the Lord of your life. Mm-hmm. And then you are not the center anymore. Mm-hmm. He's the center. Now you're, you live your life, your life through Jesus' perspective. Mm-hmm. You are guided, you are led, he's in the center. So when you confess Jesus is your Lord, and that's something that also is mis- communicated in our modern theology because I've heard lots of preachers saying if you confess Jesus is your savior he will be your savior that's not what the Bible says Uh, Jesus needs to be first your Lord and then your savior Hmm. because Paul says if you confess Jesus is your Lord then you will be saved Hmm. so before be a savior he wants to be your Lord Hmm. so if he is the Lord you're you surrender you mm-hmm. surrender your life, and then you surrender, you confess, Jesus, you are my Lord, and then you believe in your heart that God raised him from the death, meaning Jesus was the chosen, Jesus was the 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 Messiah, Jesus was the Lamb of God, Jesus was the one and the only one capable to rescue our soul, rescue our spirit of that sinful nature. If you believe in your heart that, then you will be saved. Mm. So for me, accepting Christ is having him as your Lord, believing he He has He raised from the death, and living a life that represents that. Mm. That's accepting grace. Why is, and this is the cornerstone of our faith pretty much, but why is Jesus' resurrection so pivotal? There's a, lots of reasons, but... Let me say at least two. One, because he's the one, he's the only one who who resurrected and never died again. Mm. So if we think about Lazarus, he's he he resurrected, right? Right. Um, and we have a couple of of other examples, yep. at least two more examples yep. in the in the ministry of Jesus. In the Old Testament too, right? In the old, well, the Old Elijah. Testament, we have. Anyways, well, I need to think about that. <laughs> but Jesus is the only one who died, right? Resurrected, then die again, and never died, right? 
right? So he he's the only one. Um, I think this just show that our God is alive. Mm. He's eternal. Mm. And this is a very important characteristic of God. This is an uncom- uncommunicable uncommunicable attribute of God. Only God is eternal. Right? We're we're infinite. We have we have a beginning. We don't have end. Now God is the only one who has no beginning, who has no end. It's the only one. The only one. So the Christ resurrecting from the death is just a proof that he's the only one who died, rose again, and it's alive forever. Mm. Also, he needed to resurrect because because of, of all the prophecy of the Old te- Testament. Uh, I cannot surrender my life to a God that is dead. Doesn't make sense. I can only serve a God who is alive, mm-hmm. and that's my Jesus. Mm-hmm. You, you mentioned the eternal God, and I think that was great, the distinguish, distinguishing infinite <laughs> and eternal, right? That's that's causes you to make the decision that we all have to make. Either that's so ridiculous that I can't believe it, yeah. or that is the only thing worth living your life for. For sure. You're so right. You're so right. I was telling the discipleship group the other day— um, Years ago, I think it was 2008, I was teaching a class, and then I said something that caused an issue in a Bible school Hmm. because a couple of students and professors, they thought I was being heretic for a second. Um, And then when I look back to what I said, I still believe that what I said was correct. So I'm so sure that I'm going to say it again. I said in in a class I was teaching about faith, and I said, God in your life and for you will be the size of your faith. And I truly believe that. Come on, God is God. Again, God is totally other. But at the end of the day, for you, he will be the size of your faith. If you believe he's the healer, for you, he will be the healer. Now, if you don't believe he can provide, for you, he won't be the provider. Hmm. So I think having the the the... Having enough faith to believe that God is everything that the Bible tells us he is, it's very important. Now, back to the eternal thing. We see in Genesis 1, Genesis 1.1, it says, So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God... So it's so it's so interesting that Bible never tries to prove that God exists. And then there, I already told you this there is this theology in South America that it's very fascinating to me that defends this idea that God don't don't exist. God is. God doesn't exist, God is. Because the Bible never tried to prove to you, hey, God exists, let me show you. Let me give you three reasons yeah, why God exists. Exactly. Yeah. It's actually on the first verse, in the beginning, it's just understood. God, it's there, mm-hmm. you know. Believe it or not, it's there. Now, in your life, God will be the size of your faith. I decide to believe. It's pretty much what you are saying. This is craziness 
or probably the only way possible to live. I decided to believe this is the only way possible to believe. Mm-hmm. Do you, what what are some scriptures that kind of lead you to to that conclusion that God is the size of of your faith? Or are there principles that you've pulled from narratives in scripture that 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 led you to that thought or was it just something that something that just came to you like no i think it's a couple of things but we i can i can definitely definitely i'm not saying i don't believe you but i want to help people understand how you connected those dots sure sure i think a couple of things one one of the most important verses about faith is jesus saying if you command that mountain to go from here to that and have faith it will happen. Mm-hmm. So that teach, teaches me a lesson that my faith has a power to determine things, right? Now, is God a father? Mm-hmm. Why? Why is God a father? Because I'm a son. Are you a son? Of God. Yeah, why? I think the answer is simple. We're just trying to complicate. God is a father and you are a son because you believe. Mm. As simple as that. Now, let's believe you are not a son. Is God a father? No. Exactly. So God for you is just a father because you believe he is a father. Mm -hmm. And God for you is just a friend because you believe he's a friend. Mm -hmm. Now, if you don't believe... For you, he won't be a friend and he won't be a father. So God is just gigantic being that it's incomprehensive. But in my life, for me, in our relationship, he will be the size of my faith. Who said, I I believe in order to understand, it was uh, a theologian or philosopher or somebody. But a lot of times we think the opposite. I understand. I need to understand in order to believe. Whereas, um, man, I don't know if it's Kierkegaard or something like that. But no, I, I believe in order so that I may understand. Oh yeah, the faith has to come first oh, for sure. instead of the understanding. Yep. Why? I feel like, and you, you hit, you hit the Americans hard on <laughs> on <laughs> Sunday, man. Sorry, guys. You let us have it. Um, but which is great because you know we think that we're all that but anyways why is our our in your perspective this idea so cerebral for us why why is it all head knowledge why why is it all i mean i've been studying a little bit of church history and seeing how the reformation was ignited and martin luther like really getting into this like Actually, the scripture doesn't say this, and so that that produced an entirely new way of thinking about of thinking about scripture, yeah. of thinking about such things as salvation, sanctification, like thinking about all those things. But it also it also was the catalyst for um, passiveness as well. Because it it was just all about how you thought about it and not necessarily how you acted upon it. But I feel like 
I feel like we've gone so far that we should have course corrected. <laughs> you know what I mean? But but I I still think that there's so many people that just go to church and they just hear the message of of the gospel and they participate in their mind, but not in their life. You're right. Um, I call I call this re- religiosity, bro. You know, you are so used to go to church on Sundays. That's what we do, and then we listen to the message. Sometimes we understand. Sometimes not. Sometimes good. Sometimes not. Sometimes for us. Some, us. Sometimes it's not. And then we do that Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, and then it just becomes religion. And then you don't apply to your life because it's just religion. And then you don't think it was great because because a friend of mine, a friend of ours actually, just texted me right before we we record this. And then he said, bro, thank you so much for the message Sunday. I'm still processing it. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what it needs to be when we don't understand or we don't face the Sunday experience as just one more, as just a, as part of your religion. If going to church, interacting with the word, reading your Bible is just part of your religion, it will be just facts, data, data, <laughs> and white noise. Mm. Now, if it's not part of your religion, you're doing that because you love. You're doing that with the expectation, I'm going to hear something from God. And then you're going to open up Romans, and then you you will pray before read, and then you'll probably pray like this, God, I won't understand everything that is in here, but you can reveal it to me. Please do. And then you read with your open mind, with your open heart, and then God speaks to you in a very simple way. And then you go to church, and the songs speak to you, and and the message speaks to you. That's not a, that's not religion. That's having an encounter with the living God, and that changes everything. So I think every time, I think we need to learn how to live our lives far away from religiosity. I think that kills our relationship with God. I think that kills our our growth, you know. It's not religion, it's something that it's alive. Mm. It's something that is available. And then if you go to church with your open heart and then the pastor is preaching about parenting and you have no son, no daughter, you have no kids, but if you have an open heart, God will speak to you in some way, mm. and you will walk out with something in your heart. I believe that. Mm. So I think it's all about approaching God's presence with the right posture. Mm-hmm. Posture, that's the word, posture. If it's just religiosity, religion, pff, bad. Mm. It's If it is out of love, it, if it is with the correct posture, God will teach you something and that can change your life and change the life of lives of people around you. Mm. It was, what was it, James that said, hey, guys, true religion, take care of the poor. For sure. There's your religion. <laughs> Here we go. Exactly. Uh, we we mentioned a little bit about, you know, salvation, life change, um, soteriology, as it were, you know, the theology of salvation. What if somebody has confessed with their mouth. They have believed in their heart. 
but they realize that their life isn't reflecting that right now. First of all, I know that that can be um, unnerving. You can be like, man, I really want to believe or I really, I really do love Jesus, but for some reason I'm not doing what I know that I should be doing, right? And my life is not reflecting it. What would you say to that person? A, about where they are in their relationship with God. How does God look at that, in your opinion? And then B, how would you encourage them through that? I think if if a people is in that situation you mentioned, bro, I know I love God. I know I need to correct my life. I know I need to stop doing this or start doing this. I'm gonna do. I'm gonna say something crazy, but I will. I think that's a great point. Why do I think that's a great point? Because if you, if you have accepted Christ as your Lord, and you are not following His step as you should, and you know that, it's because the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is convicting you. So you're saying it's a good place to be. It's a good place to start. Mm. The recon, the recon, recognizing it's a great place. And we all have been there when we do something wrong and then the Holy Spirit automatically goes, mm-hmm. Nate. And uh, a person who says that I love Jesus, but I can't, I can't get it right. It's because the Holy Spirit is still there bugging <laughs> because he bugs, <laughs> bugging. So I think that's a great start point. Mm-hmm. Also dangerous, because if you don't correct your ways now, you'll get to a point that the Holy Spirit won't bug you anymore. Mm. That's dangerous. Mm. That's a place we want to avoid. Mm. Now, if the Holy Spirit is bugging you, it means that God is just calling you back, calling you back. And sometimes, bro, when I read about David, you we, we understand that David made some bad bad mistakes mm-hmm. but i think the difference is he always wanted to make it right mm. and sometimes i think that's that's the key of our walking with christ i won't get everything right but i'll be okay if i will if i always want to get it right mm. you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. so for someone walking away from christ right now or loving christ you know but you you think like in that area of my life i can get it right I don't know what to do. I don't know. I don't know what to do. One, that's good. You have that record. You recognize that. That's the Holy Spirit convicting you. Two, if the Holy Spirit is convicting you, He's also inviting you for something deeper. It's impossible to overcome sin by yourself. It's impossible. Impossible. The only way of doing that is hmm. with Christ. So it could be a crazy paradox, but if you feel away from God because you are in in a life full of sin, it's time to run to God mm. because that's the only way uh, to overcome it. So you are in a good place. The Holy Spirit is convicting you. Just listen that voice. Just listen that voice inside of you right now and run back to God. Run back to God, and God will help you to overcome. And then if you sin again, God will be ready to forgive you and give you one more chance. And if you sin again, God will be ready to forgive you and to give you one more chance. And then if you sin again, 
God will be ready to forgive you, to give you one more chance. As long as you are always running back to God, one day you will be like, I'm okay. Mm-hmm. I'm not I'm not feeling as tempted as I felt in the past. I'm I'm feeling God is closer and closer to me. You will overcome mm-hmm. with Christ. That's the only way. 70 times 7, right? For sure. <laughs> forget how often does God forgive, you know? It will be always available as long as we decide to run back to him. Mm. Amen. Brother, thanks for coming on. Is there uh any parting words maybe that sparked during this conversation or even from Sunday that you want to leave with the with the good folks listening? The only thing I think I want to say is it's very interesting how God, how the what the Bible says about tempta- tempta- temptation and the Satan itself. For Satan, the Bible says, resist him. Resist him in prayer. As far as temptation, the Bible says, run from it. Run from it. Interesting. Resist the devil, run from, from temptation. Because there's things that it's more scary than the Satan. Mm. And that's sin, Mm. you know? So if you're feeling tempted, the Bible is saying, run away so you don't take the risk Mm. of sin. Sin is... Sin is the issue. Christ is the solution. But if you are under grace, you have Christ as as the center of your life, you live under Christ's law, and you have to obey. And obeying God, as simple as that, is not. It's running away from sin. Mm-hmm. So if you're feeling tempted, run. If you have problems to obey, ask God. He will help you. If you are disobeying consistently in one area, ask a friend to be your accountable partner. Do something about it. Don't fight it alone. Run to God. That's the only way to overcome sin. Grace is better than the than the law, for sure, but we have a part to play. Mm. It's always the right time to do the right thing, right? Brother? Exactly. <laughs> oh, man, thank you so much. So glad you guys were uh, with us today. Uh, we have, I think, two more? Two more. Two more weeks, so two more after the messages coming your way. So make sure you guys stick around. We love you, and we'll talk to you next week. See you. Thank you for joining us for After the Message. To learn more about Celebration Church here in Orlando, you can follow us on social media under the handle at CelebrationORL or visit our website at celebrationorl.org.